When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, Incline listeners, looking to start your own podcast? Let me tell you about Anchor. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Now, you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can have it heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's Let's ride. Time for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What's up, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Incline. This is Kevin Klein here. We're a Dodgers Lowdown podcast. If you've been following us on Twitter, you can see that we've been blowing up lately with some awesome tweets by David, who's also here, and Jake. How are you guys doing? Doing good, Kevin. Good to be here. Yeah. So, the Dodgers off to a pretty great start so far in 2020. They're 7-3, and three, which I'll take personally. We had a couple hiccups. I'm sure we'll get to them later, but my early takeaways is Corey Seager hitting the ball very well. Mookie Betts is heating up and the bullpen, which we're definitely going to dive into later. So Dodgers just took three of four against the Arizona Diamondbacks and they swept the Houston Astros in a two game series on the road. We'll talk about the Padres, who's the next team on the schedule. So I'll start with Jake. What are your takeaways so far early on in the season? Well, I think that we're doing a lot better than I thought we would, given the overall uh, performances of our players. I think that there is a lot to improve on, hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, We started, our offense has started to look a little sharper in that Arizona series, so I'm encouraged by that. But this bullpen has surprised me like no other. I think that this bullpen is arguably hands down the best in baseball and they really proved how good they were in that Houston series obviously they did well in the Arizona series but in that Houston series was really when we got to see what they were made of in that extra inning 13 inning game where the Dodgers ended up beating the Astros so I'm I'm super encouraged by the pitching the offense is starting to come around and I think 
this San Diego series will be a statement series for the NL West because the Padres have started out hot. Yeah, I'm with you on, on almost, almost all of that. Uh, I think the big, the big benchmark was the Astros sweep. Uh, that first game was like probably the most intense game we've seen this year. Uh, and they were able to pull it out. I think the second game, I don't think anyone expected them to win that once it went to extra innings. Um, but again, uh, this team just finds a way to win as it has for the past seven, eight years. Um, I think the biggest surprise for, to me is the, is how good the pitching has been. Uh, I don't, I knew that this bullpen would be good, uh, but I didn't think it'd be this good. Uh, they lead MLB. We'll get to some stats in a little bit, but it's frankly just straight up impressive what this, what this pitching staff has done shorthanded too. They've only had Kershaw for one start, Bueller for one start, uh, no David Price, a uh, bunch of rookies coming in there, Stripling coming in there. So it's, you know, they're putting the team on the back, on their back. Uh, and, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I've said the strategy for this team needs to be scoring eight runs a game and letting the pitchers, you know, go five innings and two runs. Uh, and they're basically doing the opposite of that. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see how if that holds up for the remainder of the year. Uh, but it's nice. I, w- I will say it's nice to see Mookie Betts get going. Uh, Cody Bellinger hit a home run. He looks to be back on track so far. Uh, so once that happens, this team, the, the sky's the limit. Yep. Cody Bellinger had a much-needed day off two days ago, and then he responded yesterday with that two-run home run in his first at-bat, so that was really nice to see. Mookie Betts also hit his second home run of the year into the D-backs swimming pool. But unfortunately, he got a little dinged up, and I think it was the middle finger. is swelling up right now, so he's not going to be in the lineup tonight. So when you tune into the game, you're going to notice Jock Peterson is leading off, which I'm fine with in this scenario. But going back to yesterday's game, Clayton Kershaw making his first start in 2020. And the biggest thing that jumped off the page to me was the velocity. Yeah, I think he was throwing around 89, 90 last season. Now he's back up to 92, 93. He went to driveline in the offseason. You know, he missed opening day with the back injury, but he looked in peak form yesterday. So Clayton Kershaw went five and two-thirds innings. He had six strikeouts, and it's really nice to have arguably the greatest Dodgers starting pitcher back in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Go ahead, Jake. I know. I was just going to say it was just so encouraging to see him not only pitch well but dominate. I think we were going to be accepting if he had maybe gone six innings and gave up three runs, but he pitched – you know, a shutout for five and two thirds. And he was uh, on point, his fastball, you know, averaging between 92 and 93 miles per hour. That is not what we're accustomed or what we've been accustomed to the past couple of seasons with him. And then his curveball, hall of fame, 12 to six curve, 12 to six curveball was just unreal. I mean, he was just making the D backs hitters, you know, look silly up there. And I, I think it's it's a really good sign just because the D-backs lineup is good and, you know, they, they can, you know, run, run it up on you. And he um, rarely pitched in trouble, but when he did, he pitched, you know, got himself out of, of a huge jam um, with the second and third and two out uh, in the, either the fourth or the fifth inning, and he got out of that jam. So we know that Kershaw is, you know, peak Kershaw when he can – you know, have traffic around him, but then is able to wiggle out of trouble. And so it's just, just great to see. And um, shout out to all the Kershaw haters. I think y'all can shut up now. (laughs) 
Yeah, Kevin said it. I mean, the the fact that the velocity, the fastball velocity is at 92 and 93 is a huge deal. Uh, And you may say like, oh, well, it's only two miles an hour. Like what's, what's the big deal? The reason why it's a big deal is because his slider is now more effective Uh, because in the past when he was, his fastball was at 80, 89, 90, and his slider was about the same, maybe a few miles an hour less uh, hitters were able to tell, you know, be able to see the difference. Uh, And now with with the uptick in velocity, it's it's significantly harder for the hitters to react to the slider. His fastball being up a couple miles an hour makes his other pitches even more effective. Uh, the the difference in velocity between pitches is huge for pitchers. And when you have Clayton Kershaw, who's got the Hall of Fame curveball, an excellent slider, uh, it makes all the difference in the world. So if he can keep this up, uh, we may we work, we may be in store for vintage Kershaw here. Yep. Now we can talk about another player who's making an epic comeback tour. Last season, he kind of had an under-the-radar year. You know, couldn't really complain about him, couldn't really hype him up. But who I'm alluding to is Corey Seager, having a phenomenal start to the 2020 campaign. I'm going to read you some of the stats real quick. He's batting 361. He has a 425 on base percentage. He has three home runs, three doubles, six RBIs. Oh, and by the way, he leads baseball in Hardest contact rate, most hard hit balls with 21. The next closest is actually his teammate, Mookie Betts, with 18. So Corey Seager, a lot of people wanted to trade him in the offseason, and not even for great talent in some scenarios. They wanted to move him for some prospects with the Cincinnati Reds. But here he is, probably the early MVP favorite for the Dodgers. Corey Seager missed yesterday's game, so he's back in the lineup today as a DH. So that's good to see. So what do you guys got to say about Corey Seager? Yeah, well, you said it. Uh, I mean, the hard hit balls are, are the thing that jumps out to me. You said he has 21 leading MLB. He's had 35 at bats this year, which means 21 of those have ended in the hard hit ball. Uh, he's still only hitting 361, uh, which means some of those aren't even falling in for hits. He's, he's hit into some bad luck already, and he's still hitting 361. Um, but if you look at the, the percentages, uh, I mean, he's in the 92nd percentile in exit velocity, the 100th percentile in expected batting average. He's not even striking out. 96th percentile in K percentage, 100th percentile in expected slugging percentage, 100th percentile in uh, XWOBA, and uh, 97th percentile in hard hit ball. So this dude is literally taking batting practice during Major League Baseball games. Uh, it's, it's impressive what he's doing, and if he keeps this up, there's there's no stopping him he's, he's seeing the ball well he's not striking out uh he's he should be hitting third at this point uh but dave roberts is gonna dave roberts i was gonna i was gonna say that he really should be hitting in the middle of this lineup especially when cody bellinger is trying to figure things out even though he had a home run yesterday i still feel that there maybe he's putting a little bit more pressure on himself because of uh you know the mvp and the expectations of him so i think while seager's hot and continues to be, I think he should be right in the middle of that lineup uh, coming up with RBI opportunities. And you're right. A lot of those hard hit balls were being caught and not even good plays, but like, you know, kind of look what I found in my glove type plays from the Giants. There was a bunch of those during, I think, one game, about three of them. Mm-hmm. He just hit the tar out of it. And, uh, you know, the, the players are making plays on him and, and just, you know, but the good thing is, is that his, his numbers are, are really good with given those hard hit outs. So that's encouraging. He's hitting righties. He's hitting lefties. 
So I, I think this is this could be uh, Corey Seager's year if he keeps this up. Yeah, I mean, his expected batting average is 506. I mean, that tells you what you need to know about you know, him, hitting, him hitting into poor, poor luck. So that's a little bit of the good stuff. Now we've got to talk a little bit about the bad stuff. Running, runners with score, ah, runners in scoring position. I'm glad David posted this earlier, so it looks like I was keeping tabs on it correctly. They're 22 for 96, which is the equivalent of a 229 batting average. They're leaving a lot of men on base. I do expect this number to go up over time, but it is a little bit of a concern. What do you think is the root of the cause for this lack of production? I don't think one, maybe, maybe Justin Turner and Corey Seager, the exceptions there, but not, not a lot of our guys are hitting with runners in scoring position. I don't know what it is. We just don't seem to be able to, to come through with, with men on base. And I think a lot of it may have to do with the fact that um, sometimes we're, we're waiting for that three-run homer or that two-run homer when you know, maybe we should be playing a little more small ball, getting the runners over. I mean, we have a lot of guys that can hit, hit the ball out of the park. But in terms of manufacturing runs, getting guys over into scoring positions, scoring on sacrifice flies, we're not doing those, those small things. We're not scratching runs across. We're waiting for that crooked number. And when, you, when your offense is built around that crooked number, you're going to see um, a lot of times, you know, guys coming up empty. But I think that this team can turn it around. I mean, when you've got guys like A.J. Pollock on fire, I think that, you know, when you're not expecting those guys to carry the load, and they are, and just wait for, you know, because Betts is getting hot. Bellinger, you know, you, you don't really know. I'll have to see a couple more games to see if he's, if he's back on track. But, yeah, I can't really point to one reason why we're not scoring with runners, with, with runners in scoring position. I feel like this is something you wanted to also bring up. So here's some data just to throw at you. Max Muncy with runners in scoring position so far this year. He's 0 for 8. And he does have a 220 batting average, which, I mean, take it with a grain of salt because he does have a 360 on base percentage. So maybe Max Muncy is not the leadoff guy. Well, yeah, and I and I wanted to touch on that, and and it, and it infuriates me because not only were we watching it with our eyes, seeing that it didn't work with Max Muncy at the top of the order, followed by Mookie Betts, but now we have the stats to back it up. This year, Max Muncy is hitting 150 in a leadoff spot. That's three for 20, and he his slash line is 150, 346, 200, and again, small sample size, but when you compare that to him batting second he's hitting 286 375 762 and his OPS is 1.137 he's got three homers and three RBIs I know it's small sample size but when you obviously see that he is not performing in the leadoff spot and it doesn't really matter where you bat Mookie Betts even though the stats so far have proven that he is a better leadoff hitter than Max Muncy that's all the, the all the data you really need and even over his career, Max Muncy in the leadoff spot, only 12 games, but he's batting 216 in that spot. Uh, not to mention the, you know, sort of the intangibles, right? That he's not a, not a fast guy. So he's not going from first to third on a single. He's not scoring from first on a double. And he's not stealing any bases. So there really is no uh, advantage to having him bat leadoff. And I'm glad that Dave Roberts kind of went away from that against a right-handed pitcher on Sunday. And again, on Monday against the Padres, 
even with Mookie Betts not being in the lineup because of that injury he suffered yesterday, Jock Peterson is leading off. So that, I, I, I guess, is a little encouraging, um, the fact that he is listening to these stats and batting Muncie where he should be because Muncie batting second is, is significantly better than him batting first. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my two points, I'll make them quickly here, is Mookie Betts should be leading off every game, period. Uh, he's a leadoff hitter. He fits the mold. He's succeeded there in the past. Uh, you know, I'm fine with the occasional, you know, moving him down a second, you know, matchup-wise. You want to put Muncie or Peterson there, you know, every so often. But Mookie, Hitch, Mookie Betts should be leading off, period. Uh, there's, there's no reason why he shouldn't, and it's, it's puzzling why he, he hasn't been every single game this year. Uh, and as for the, the runners left in scoring position, I feel like this is a thing every year for the Dodgers. There's not one cause. There's not one reason why it happens. It's just, it's just something they haven't been able to get over fully. Uh, they're averaging 5.2 runners left in scoring position a game this year. Uh, only Houston and Philadelphia, who's played like two games or worse. Um, and it's, it's weird because like the extra inning game, I felt like the runner on second wasn't even a real advantage for the Dodgers because they, they seem to hit worse with runners in scoring position. So this is just something they're going to have to just get over. Uh, I don't know if it's mental, uh, but if they're going to succeed and, and win a world, win a world series, they're, they're going to have to get over this. All right. Now we can talk some pitching and Last I checked, I believe this morning, the Dodgers lead all of baseball in Team ERA. No surprise there. With a Munich school, 184 overall Team ERA. But the starting pitching, as good as it's been, the bullpen has been the strength of the Dodgers. And David's about to give you a lot of cool stats. And the only stat I can contribute right now to kind of sum up how good this bullpen's been, they have a bullpen ERA of 1.01. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll start with just the pitching staff in general. The, the, the pitching staff, including the starters, is first tied for first in the MLB with batting average against. They're holding hitters to a 188 batting average. They're first in slugging percentage, which is at uh, 255. Uh, 28.3% hard hit percentage is good for first in the MLB, and 86.3 exit velocity is good for first in the MLB. That's just the starters. Now, if we get to the bullpen, uh, we're going to see that, yeah, their ERA is a tick under one. Right now I have it at 0.99 ERA in the bullpen. Uh, There's are second in bullpen ERA, fourth in FIP, fourth in batting average on balls in play, which is 0.222, and they're first in expected slugging percentage at 267. Basically what that means is they're not allowing hard hit balls. Any contact against them is weak contact, and they're basically not allowing many runners on base and obviously not allowing runs. This staff, this bullpen as a whole is elite. Uh, there's not one weak link so far in the season, and it's, it's frankly something that I, I wasn't expecting. I mean, it's, they've been marvelous. And, and to your point, because, yes, technically they, they do have the second-best bullpen ERA in the majors, behind St. Louis, who is right. kind of on pause, and they have nowhere near the amount of innings that the Dodger, bull, Dodger bullpen has had. The yeah. Dodger bullpen has you know, thrown 45 and two-thirds innings, and St. Louis is nowhere near that because they're you know, doing dumb things and going out. Yeah, exactly, and our starters aren't even going that long in games. Right. So this bullpen has been locked down, and like I was saying earlier, the 
uh, Astro series was really where I you, you sort of saw how amazing this pen was because even Scott Alexander, who I've never been high on, he got out of some sticky situations, questionable leaving him in for two innings in that game. Yeah, yeah. But he he got out of it, and then bringing in Dennis Santana when you had a lot of other better options. I felt like Joe Kelly, Pedro Baez in the bullpen, you know, presumably ready to go. So when you've got Dennis Santana and Scott Alexander, uh, who are supposed to be your weak links coming in and shutting the door down, that's how you know how good this bullpen is, which means you could bring in anybody in any situation um, and, and have them succeed. I'm a little iffy on Adam Clark, you know, can he get righties out? I'm a little iffy on that. But other than him, I mean, this, this bullpen has been unbelievable. They are essentially, also, I'll give you some more numbers. They are second in batting average against at 156, second in slugging percentage at 182, and second in OPS against at 435. Again, they're second because St. Louis, smaller sample size, has better numbers. So really, they're number one in all those categories. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think, you know what I think the root of this is? I think they're tired of having Dave Roberts bring in the wrong guy. So I think they just decided as a group conscious that we're all going to dominate. Let's all be the right guy. Let's not let Dave bring in the wrong dude and and mess up this team for the umpteenth year. So we actually have a question, which is perfect for this subject matter. It's from Carol, who wants to know, who in the bullpen do you trust the to get us to a World Series win, and it can't be Kenley Jansen. Well, you know who I'm going to say. Uh, he, he did have a hiccup, uh, but it's Blake Trinan. Uh, his stuff has been electric. Uh, apparently, Roberts uh, you know, walked, walked a guy with a one-something one average to get to uh, Christian Walker. Walker. Uh, but, you know, long term, my heart says Blake Trinan. Uh, but my brain, after watching what's happening so far this year, says Bruce Dark Gertoral. This dude's been lighting it up, uh, effortless, 100 miles an hour, hasn't really ran into any trouble. Uh, so I'm going to go with Blake Trying with my heart and Gertoral with my brain. Okay, well, I, I think I might take Kevin's here because I know how much he loves Caleb Ferguson. <laughs> yeah. But yep. Caleb Ferguson, this dude, and I have not really been high on him for uh, for a couple of years, but this dude is throwing gas and he's unhittable. And I think he can get both righties and lefties out, which is good with this new three batter minimum. But he's a guy that I would that I would trust right now. And my second or third pick would be either Bruce Darger Adderall and sort of a tie maybe between Pedro Baez and Blake Trinan. I think those guys have been excellent. And, and Joe Kelly, who needs to work on his control, has been good too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, be, we'll be without him for a few games. In response to David's pick, Blake Trinan, you know, a lot of his peripherals are grading out very nicely. But one thing that has not looked good so far is his swinging with rate percentage. It's seven out of 100. So he's definitely got to work on that sinker command and get – hitters to swing and miss i mean walker whatever roberts did in that situation which wasn't the right move walker just got all of that and it backfired on us yeah um i mean you know walker's killed the dodgers for a bit now so i'm gonna give i'm gonna give my boy blake a pass there all right yeah and jake's right 
I'm a little tilted right now because I was just loading it on Baseball Savant and we're stuck with his 2019 peripherals when I wanted to read the 2020 ones. But yes, Caleb Ferguson is my guy. I've been high on this guy pretty much the entire offseason. I really liked what I saw in 2018. I was upset when he didn't make the World Series roster and they went with Alexander instead. And then last season was just kind of a sophomore slump, so I kind of wrote him off. But then I really liked what I saw in spring training, but then carried over to summer camp. And now we're seeing him in the regular season. And I'm almost at a, point, at a point where I'm ready to compare him to Josh Hader. I think we can start putting these guys in the same conversation because you look at the actual peripherals and stat casts, they're, all the numbers line up to them being nearly an identical pitcher. And what I also like about Ferguson is he's more than just a three batter guy. He can go two or three innings if really needed. Yeah. I have a question about uh, Ferguson. Does he throw as hard as Hader does? No. No, but what he makes up for it is the spin rate, which is almost at the very max capacity. And he also has a very elite curveball spin rate. So with those two things working, he's essentially the same pitcher. All right. Now that we talked about bullpen, I think we had another quick question that we can just get out of the way from Oscar Vargas. He wants to know, What's been your guys' favorite Dodger dong this season? I'll let you start off the dong conversation. All right. I'll just dong it up, um, which is not a phrase. Um, so my, <laughs> my, my, I'm, my pick is, is between um, Edwin Rios, yeah. um, who I believe, did that come on Saturday? I think so. Um, and the, in Arizona or in Arizona yeah I believe that was Saturday oh no I'm going Edwin Rios in the in the Astros series That's yeah right. there you go yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah well both of them were both of them were great home runs but just to stick it to the Astros in the 13th inning my goodness that was such a beautiful swing no doubt about it this guy looks like you know he could hit 30 home runs 40 home runs if he started and uh his swing uh, reminds me a lot of uh, a guy, uh, Nomar Mazzara. I think he's mm -hmm. it, Joey Gallo too. I mean, he's just this. Yeah, I like the Gallo player. comp for sure. Yeah, um, I really like him. I really hope he gets more at bats because we, you know, we could definitely use him in the lineup. I don't know what I don't know what his stats are against lefties, but he definitely should be getting more at bats as as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that one. My favorite dong of the year is when Edwin Rios dropped his dong on Houston, uh, ending that, that game on a high note. Uh, simple, easy. Next question. I'll go with a different answer. I'm going Corey Seager with his first home run of the year against the Astros. I think the pitcher's last name was Javier or something. I can't really remember. Yeah, Christian yeah. Javier. Yeah, the guy who's just – pitched really well this year, by the yeah. way. But, yeah, Corey Seager, there was a no doubt about it. It was nice to get that one nothing lead early on. Just everything about that swing just looked like the Corey Seager that we used to know. So that's my answer. So the next – I like it. The next quick subject, you know, the Dodgers, they got more games to play. And they're starting a three-game series in San Diego against the Padres, who are off to a good start. Some might say it's hot. I'm just going to say it's okay. I mean, they're only six and four. But they actually have the number one offense in baseball randomly with 5.9 runs a game. 
So whatever they're doing, I know they just played some games in cores. They played the Giants. Now they get a real test. They're facing the Dodgers. This is kind of a statement series early on. The Dodgers do have a chance if they sweep to knock the Padres back to below 500. And this would really separate us from the rest of the NL West. So just to touch things really quickly, what are you going to keep your eye out on in this series? Uh, well, I'm interested to see how the offense does in San Diego. I think it's very clear to everyone involved that this is a statement series. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I think the Dodgers need to come out strong uh, offensively. They're going to be without Mookie Betts for at least you know a game. Uh, but with Bellinger possibly being back to Bellinger, maybe it doesn't even matter. So I'm interested. To, obviously, the, the first matchup of the, 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 the series is intriguing. Bueller versus Chris Paddock, who Padres fans have been hyping up as Clayton Kershaw-esque. And, you know, I've, I've yet to see that come to fruition. Uh, but my man, Dustin May, is pitching the second game of the season. So I'm definitely – the second game of the series. So I'm keeping an eye on the first two games for sure. Uh, I'm very interested to see how the offense – either picks up or stays the same and, and what happens with the bullpen. Also the San, the, the rumored greatness of the San Diego Padres bullpen has frankly been the opposite this season. Uh, so who knows? Yep. Yeah. I agree with what you guys are saying. I mean, just like the Astro series was a statement series, just so that we could, you know, show them that we are the superior team. I think that this is, even more of a statement series because you're right people have been saying that the Padres are hot and they're they've started you know pretty pretty well and you know they're firing on all cylinders as they as they like to say and you know guys like uh Will Myers and Tatis Jr. and Machado and Hosmer and uh, Tommy Pham is hitting really well I mean they've got a really good offense um so I think in order to uh say to the rest of the NL West and the rest of the National League that no one's going to touch us and what you guys think is uh going to, going to rival the Dodgers is not the case and so if you can go into San Diego and take at least two out of three from these guys you can shut everybody up and then once we play the Rockies because that's the other team that's playing pretty well right now once we play them and beat them, then we can sort of, you know, put this to rest as the, as as if the NL West is up for grabs because I really yeah. don't think it is. I really don't think it is, um, and I think that the Dodgers could really, you know, solidify that uh, during this series. No, you said it perfectly. They need to come in, take care of business against the Padres and the Rockies, and and put this division away, basically. Yep. Well, I think David's been saving this one. So. Is it finally time for Austin Barnes debate? Yes. I've, been wait- I've been waiting for the last 20 minutes of this episode for you to bring it up. All right. I'll, I'll play. Be the, I'll be the referee. Okay. I'll be the defendant uh, so you can start as okay. the plaintiff. Taking Switzerland's position over there? Okay. That's how – I mean, you can – all right. I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. Let me make one thing clear. Austin Barnes is one of the worst offensive options the Dodgers have had in – ever it is painful to watch him at the plate it is painful and i will say the pitch framing is above average he's very good at pitch framing it's not it's not you know elite it's not the number one in the league but it is above average that is the only nice thing i will say about austin barnes that is it he is three for 16 on the year hitting 125 
with a 347 OPS. 347. That is so far below the league average. Uh, it is painful. He's, he's had a 36.8 K percentage. That is painful. It is painful to watch this dude at the plate. When you start Austin Barnes, you are forfeiting the DH. So if you're okay with forfeiting the DH and starting Austin Barnes, then that's your choice. But me personally, I'm not. Because Will Smith, the superior option at catcher, the superior hitter, is no slouch at pitch framing and defense. He is an above-average pitch framer and above-average defender. There's no reason, none, on this planet Earth that Austin Barnes should be starting every other day. You can start him once a week, once every five days, once every four days. You want to have him as Kershaw's personal catcher, go for it. Other than that, you're forfeiting the DH, and that's, that's inexplicable. The defense, please. Well, if we're getting technical here, it's supposed to be Will Smith starting every three of the five games. And, yeah, you already mentioned it. Clayton Kershaw, he wants Austin Barnes. Dustin Does he, May- though? Does he? Yes. Has that explicitly on paper. been said? Yes. Well, he certainly pitches better to Austin Barnes than to Will Smith. But Dustin the, May. The sample size is not as big. Dustin May also wants Austin Barnes. Then you, you know, you pair. Are you, say, are you saying that, that they actually said that, or are you just saying that based on their performances? There have been rumblings from credible <laughs> people that are posting that this has been their request. So I'm going off of I'm circumstantial say, evidence. I'm going to, I'm not going to say names, but you can search it. And there are people saying this is indeed the case. Now, Walker Bueller, him and Will Smith, perfect tag team. Ross Stripling and Will Smith, another great tag team. Julio Urias, still trying to figure that one out. You know, he had a rough first inning. Then he talked it over with Will Smith. Then they got on the same page. Now we get to why Austin Barnes deserves to be in the lineup. At least every two of the five games pitch framing you're selling this guy short he's actually 87th or 80 in the 87th percent tile of pitch framing which is near the top of the league they actually had a guy better if you wanted to replace austin barnes named travis darnode who they had for like five days they then released him for whatever reason here's a guy who had a 90 he was in the 92nd percentile which is slightly better than barnes He's now hitting like 360 or so with Atlanta. Will Smith with the pitch framing, he's not off to a good start. He's actually 40%, which is blue. I'm sure that'll get better over time. Now we get to why the pitching succeeds with Austin Barnes in the lineup. So far with Barnes in the lineup, the only guy who's had 180 plate appearances, the next closest had 100, who's Alex Avila. Avila has a catcher's ERA of one. Austin Barnes has 80 more plate appearances. He has a catcher's ERA of 157. And then you have Will Smith, who's not too far behind. He's also got 180 plate appearances. He has a 211 ERA. So, you know, I'm perfectly fine doing this 60-40 catching split. Last season with Austin Barnes in the lineup, the team had an ERA of I believe it was 357, which was still in the top 10 of all of Major League Baseball. They then let him go to the minors, and you could see some regression. And though Will Smith did have a catcher's ERA of 37, when you look at Kershaw's number, who's arguably the most important pitcher in the staff, there was definitely some regression. 
And then I get to the final point of why Austin Barnes' defense is essential is according to called strikes above average, the last three years he ranked 7th, 7th, and 2nd. And then the last three years, according to stat cast strike rate, he ranked 11th, 6th, and 14th. And strike zone run safe. He was also in the top 10, 9th, 7th, and 8th. So in terms of his defense, he is one of the premier catchers in all of baseball. He's better than Yasmani Grandal all around right now, who got paid a lot by the White Sox. And then, yes, the offense, he's pretty much an automatic out. But the Dodgers lineup, which is something everyone's been hyping up all year now, has potentially eight all-stars in the lineup. And by getting rid of the pitcher spot and adding a DH, you now basically make Austin Barnes the pitcher spot, which is fine because this team has never had issues scoring runs in the past. They were top two or three in all of baseball last season. And even in 2018, when they struggled, they still had more runs than they did in 2017. So I'm not concerned about the offense if everyone else is doing their part. What I care about is the pitching looking comfortable so that we can stay in every game and let our offense score later. All right. My, my take, my response is that you're putting way too much weight on Austin Barnes ability to catch rather than the pitcher's ability to pitch. Uh, Walker Bueller, I don't care who is behind the plate. He's going to pitch well. I'm, I'm the same with Clayton Kershaw. These guys are experienced veterans uh, who don't need a particular catcher. Uh, maybe, maybe you get an extra strike or two with Austin Barnes, sure. But is that really worth three automatic outs every game? Like Austin Barnes, when he's at the plate, that's basically the human bathroom break. That's when I know I can get up from the couch, go to the bathroom, or get a snack and eat. Uh, it's it's painful to witness him at the plate. Yes, obviously, there's advantages to having him defensively. But my argument is once a week, once every five games, that's the max, especially when the Dodgers offense is struggling right now, uh, which, you know, compared to what the expectations were, you could say it was struggling. Uh, you just can't play him that much. It's an automatic out. You're, you're basically forfeiting. You are forfeiting the DH when other teams aren't. And it's just not something that's, that you can consistently win with. Here's, here's, my, here's my take, and I, I kind of see both sides of it, but I'm more on the side of David because it's just a painful right. to watch Austin Bards swing the bat. And I felt that way since, you know, for a glimpse, he was all right in 2017. But other than that, he's been terrible. And when you stack him up offensively against Will Smith, there is no comparison. Will Smith has, uh, I believe, 16 career home runs, and that's just over, you know – you know, a little bit of the season last year and then one this year. Austin Barnes, he's been in the league since 2015. He has 17 career homers and seven and 80 career RBIs. I mean, this guy is is never been good offensively. And I think that if you have Will Smith as the future of the Dodgers or the future uh, of our, you know, our future catcher, we should let him play the majority of the games because baseball is a rhythm thing. If you're not in the lineup, every game or at least you know uh five days a week you're gonna not be as sharp offensively and i think with this team struggling to get on track offensively you need as much offense in there and you can't afford to have a a pitcher spot basically at the catcher's position i just don't think that this pitch framing thing uh, on david's point i just don't think that it is as valuable 
as it is having someone in there that can hit. Because it's not like we have these feeble pitchers that desperately need a really good catcher in order to be good. Right. These guys are perennial all-stars. Kershaw's a future Hall of Famer. Walker Buehler may be one, one day. These guys can pitch to whomever. And to me, uh, Will Smith is a fine catcher. And I think he's good defensively. He is. Friedman has said that. But offensively, he's far and away the better option. I hear what you guys are saying. And obviously, you want to see more offensive production from your catcher. But the reality of the situation still is, Will Smith has like eight hits since the month of August of last season. And I feel like a lot of Dodger fans are clamoring to the past. And the best analogy I could come up with is you win big at a blackjack table. And now all of a sudden you feel like you're going to win again. So you're going all in. And that's pretty much what Will Smith's been since the month of August. He's batting below 200. He has proven that he's taking more pitches this season, which is big. If you can work the count, then obviously I'll take that. But it's not like Austin Barnes is getting out on three pitches either. And I'll reiterate, Barnes has an 87 out of 100 rating for pitch framing, which is huge. And he leads all of baseball in converting balls to strikes with framing on the pitches loan away, which would be to right-handed hitters, which is big when you have someone like Clayton Kershaw, which is his bread and butter, pitching low and away to these type of hitters. So there's definitely, yes, People don't like Barnes, and I get why. He's essentially another Kike Hernandez, but there's value to him. You can't okay. say that about Kike. Yeah, I'm not even a Kike fan, but he's significantly better than Barnes. Like, they're not even in the same tier. But here's my point. These catcher framing statistics, all of them, are super ambiguous in the sense that they put a lot of weight on something and they ignore – a multitude of factors. They ignore the pitcher. They ignore the umpire. They ignore the particular hitter. Uh, these, these stats aren't as cut and dry as they may seem. It's not like batting average where if someone goes five for 10, then they're, you know, hitting 500. This is, these stats are very, you know, not necessarily accurate in my opinion. And that's basically all anyone who would support Austin Barnes playing every day has. Uh, and Smith, you know, obviously he hasn't lived up or not. He, he's probably lived up to it, but he hasn't, you know, maintained that pace that he, that he had when he first came up where it was, you know, home run after home run and double after double walk off home run. But there's no debate that he is a better option than Austin Barnes offensively. There is none. I will not hear any of it because there is none. Um, he could go 0 for 50 with 50 strikeouts and still be a better option than Austin Barnes. This, this man That's... Barnes is a crutch. He is a crutch for pitchers based off of ambiguous stats. And there's just no way he should be playing as much as he's playing right now, which is basically 50% of the time. I mean, one of his hits this year was a ground ball to the shortstop that the, you know, official scorer somehow ruled a hit. So he should be one for 16. And even that, you know, the other day he, he walked, he, he worked at the count. He had a six pitch strikeout or a seven pitch strikeout. And I stood up from my couch and gave him a round of applause. That's where we're at with Austin Barnes right now. If he can see more than two pitches, it's a success. And that's not okay for any major league lineup. It's, this is major league baseball. You know, you, you got to be better than that. And that, you can't be playing every day. I'm sorry. Okay, I, have well, two, I have two quick final points on that. One, 
is I would like to see Will Smith with a bigger sample size. I yeah. want to see him play every day. I want to see what that's like. We got a glimpse of that last season. And yes, he tapered off, but you can't expect a guy to to consistently hit walk off after walk off home run after walk off home run and constantly be on fire the whole time. That's just not realistic. It's not baseball. But like like I said, baseball is a rhythm game. So if he's not in there every day, I don't know that he's going to put up big numbers offensively. And that's that's the key. If Austin Barnes is in there every day, he won't put up consistent numbers. Yes. Pretty clear on that because we've given him that opportunity and he showed us. The other point I want to make, and the only reason I would ever allow Austin Barnes to be behind the plate is if Clayton Kershaw said, that's who I want behind there, and, and, and any other pitcher that, want, that really does want him to be there. If that's the case, they come out and say, we want Austin Barnes behind the plate. Then, uh, then, I, then I would go with it. Then I'm like, okay, well, at least the, the option of the starting pitcher that day, whether it's Dustin May or Clayton Kershaw, they want him behind the plate, fine. But Will Smith definitely needs to be in there more than he is. Yes, and going off of that point, we need to see a full season of him defensively as well. Exactly. Because we don't know. Maybe he could be you know, up to Barnes' level of pitch framing and all these ambiguous stats that rely on you know, the pitcher and the umpire and that hitter. I mean, they're not, they're not as cut and dry as it may sound. They're, they're just not. Uh, we don't know if it's like a, per, a great indicator of how good a catcher really is because there, there really isn't a way to quantify that. That's probably the best we can do. But in terms of, you know, it's not like a batting average stat or slugging percentage stat. It's not that cut and dry. So we don't know. And just uh, echoing Jake's point, we need to see Smith a full season offensively and defensively to see what we have there. But I can confidently say offensively, no matter what, Smith is the better option. Period. Period. My player to watch for this Padre series is now going to be <laughs> Will Smith, who's guaranteed to start two of these three games, all coming against right-handed pitching. That's not going to favor Will Smith by any means. But overall, the Dodgers lineup historically is better against right-handed pitching, so there should be some RBI opportunities for Will Smith at Petco. And one thing, since you brought up Kike Hernandez, uh, and I know you're, you're a fan of him as well, I would like to bring up some, some tangible stats uh, on Kike Hernandez. Since opening day, he is 6 for 29. That's a 206 average, zero RBIs, zero walks, zero extra base hits, and seven strikeouts. And that's, that's what big game and, you know, wears tight pants and puts on a banana costume and then everyone wants Kike Hernandez in the lineup. When you got Chris Taylor, who's a better offensive option, and you got Gavin Lux, who's a much better talent, waiting in the alternate training site. Just wanted you brought Kike Hernandez up, and I felt that I had to bring that up. Uh, so that's that's my take on Kike. I mean, he's one good game, and the rest has just been a an utter disaster this season for him. I mean, my take on Kike is he's a below-average hitter, but in terms of utility players around all of Major League Baseball, he's probably still a top-five utility player just because of his defensive versatility and his ability to come up clutch sometimes. You know, it's not all the time, but he's had big games. But, yes, I am not going to say Kike should be in the starting lineup probably ever. I am always going to lean Chris Taylor if it comes to head-to-head. But with that being said – People that say Kike should be DFA'd or 
sense to the minors. That's just ridiculous. He is still yeah. a serviceable player. 100%. I agree with you on the utility aspect. I just don't think he should be starting every day. He should be a fill-in player, plug him in for defense, start him once or twice a week at most uh, against left-handers, and that's it. When you have two better options in waiting. And, and I'll just say, if you look at his career stats, he's a better bench player than he is a starter. So yeah. for me, like we gave him that option opportunity last season, and he proved that he is not a good starting second baseman. He's good off the bench. He's good in, uh, you know, pinch situations to fill in here and there. But to start to start him every day, I, I just don't think it, it's it, we, it's proven to to not be successful. Yeah, the numbers back it up, uh, and that's not to say he isn't valuable to have on your team because he is. He's excellent on defense, and he's a, an excellent plug and play guy. But he's not a starter. Speaking of Gavin Lux, I still have no idea how close he is in terms of major league ability you know this was probably the favorite to win rookie of the year in the national league and we're just we're not seeing it so far so definitely something to keep your eyes out on yeah there was a report saying that he's he's close you know to being ready for this season uh you know there is that looming factor of service time which could be a factor of why he isn't up and wasn't up at the beginning of the year uh so it's interesting to see but in terms of raw talent i mean he's 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 that dude all right. Anything else you guys want to say before we shift to the out of left field territory? Kick it off. All right. So my out of left field today, keeping it kind of simple. I saw a report a few days ago that the well-known restaurant change, restaurant chain, California pizza kitchen has filed for bankruptcy. And, you know, I want to flash back to a, kind of a thing we did a few months ago where we ranked all the chains yeah. head to head. I think CPK lost in the finals. To... I don't understand how they got to the finals. I was, I was not responsible for that. If you're listening. Uh, and I, and I wasn't here. Either. Yeah. <laughs> we had, a, we had a guest, uh, Phil and Kevin, uh, I guess they both destroyed me in that department. I was, Who I was won? outgunned. I was outgunned. Who won? Benihana. Benihana. I, I, I brought it home for Benihana. Nice. Thank yeah, whatever, for whatever reason, the left side of the bracket wasn't very strong, so CPK <laughs> just kind of steamrolled their way to the final and then got destroyed. But anyways, why I'm bringing up CPK is I think this was a long time coming. This restaurant has slowly but surely gone downhill, and I think the pandemic was the final straw. I've completely – done a 180 on my stance on CPK. I think they're a below average chain. They're overpriced. You go there for a pizza and a salad, you're going to drop 40 bucks immediately, which is like fine because that's to be expected at some restaurants. But then you get a CPK and it's an undersized pizza. It's probably 10 inches tops. Mediocre. I don't know what's happened to the quality, but it's definitely regressed. And then the salad, you know, it's fine, whatever. You want drinks, that's another 10 bucks probably. They have a few pasta dishes. None of them jump off the menu as delicious. So you're having a very underwhelming dining experience or takeout experience, which I've seemed to come upon these last couple times that I ordered. It's been a couple months now since I've gone back, but it's just been a disaster every time I go. And the final point is drop the California 
from the restaurant name. It's not a good representation of the type of Italian cuisine we have here in California whatsoever. So I want to start a petition, change the name to just Pizza Kitchen, because I don't know what your guys' favorite pizzas are out here. You can name them if you want, but CPK ain't it. And uh, jumping off that just a little bit, I do like the barbecue chicken pizza if I were to have to choose one from there. But I, but I genuinely agree with you on that. And your out of left field made me think of my out of left field. And I don't really understand um, a lot of people out there, but I've been sort of the designated person that when my family orders food from a place, I'll go pick it up uh, if we don't do Postmates. But I've seen restaurants that are packed to the gills. And even if they have the outdoor seating outside, it doesn't make very much sense. I don't know. And I don't know, you know, what you guys do for, for dinner on a regular basis, but you couldn't pay me to, to go to a restaurant right now and sit there with everyone and in the uncertainty of it all. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, why wouldn't you just pick up something? Go, do you really need to be out with your family? Like in this environment, is that, is that so important to you? Why can't you have dinner at home or, or, you know, order Postmates or go pick it up somewhere and bring it back home. The idea of going to a restaurant right now is preposterous. makes no sense. You're endangering yourself. You're endangering others. That's my rant on that. And it sort of connects to the fact that we've seen a lot of uh, positive COVID cases with the Marlins and now with the Cardinals. We've heard reports that their players are going out to casinos and clubs and stuff. And if that ruins the season for us, I'm going to be so pissed. Like, I really am. And if we start to see that players are getting COVID following the protocols and really taking the steps to make sure that they're safe, if we are still seeing players getting COVID-19, then I think you have a problem. But if the Marlins and the Cardinals are outliers in all of this and they're the ones getting sick because they were reckless, then I think this season can continue and will complete. But it, it will only, it will, will only find out is, is if everybody is following the rules. There are too many things that could go wrong when you travel from city to city, which is why the, why the NBA is working out so well in the bubble. But the way that baseball is set up, you have to be extra, extra careful and if you're being reckless, that's just, you know, unfortunate for the rest of us. Yeah, um, I agree with your take, Kevin. I was never a fan of CPK, and I, I just want to commend you. That's what we call growth as a human being. <laughs> um, and, but it did remind me that we did, another casualty of this pandemic was my favorite, which is Sioux Plantation. Uh, it's just, you know, it brought up bad memories uh, your your out of left field just sunk me to my core because it made me think of Sue Plantation's death. Um, so yeah, I don't really have an out of left field today after that after that sadness just overcame me. Uh, but my only out of left field, I, I I mean I guess I do. I can just the cancel the season crowd needs to just be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. You know nothing about anything. So stop just vaguely yelling through your keyboard. Cancel the season. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not, an, you're not an epidemiologist. You're not in the know at MLB. You don't know what's going on. Just be quiet. Like Jake said, uh, these two teams that have outbreaks uh, are reported to have gone to clubs, to golf courses, to uh, casinos. So, look, I mean, if the players, you know, do follow the protocols, which they've now tightened, they'll, there's going to be a season. Uh, the players and the owners and MLB have too much money to lose. 
So you yelling, cancel the season, is not going to do anything. I'm sorry to tell you, but you just need to be quiet. If you're just constantly yelling through the keyboard, cancel the season. Breaking news, that's not going to make a difference. That's all I got. I just want to add to that. If you want to go out and party, do your thing, then go do it. But opt out of the season. Every player was given the option. If you want to live your lifestyle, be reckless in this scenario, then you have to look at the universal, universal picture here and respect the lives of everyone else that wants to play the game. So by you not only putting yourself at risk, you're now putting potentially 50 plus people at risk. And this is per matchup. We could, if this continues for every different series, you could infect the entire MLB. Yeah. So and, I just adding on that, it's not just their lives, it's their livelihoods too. Cause if they cancel the season. They don't get paid for those games. Yeah. So, so far, the only region that seems to be doing their part is the Western region. So, I mean, that's great for us as Dodger fans. You know, I don't want to see these double headers with seventh inning max games. That just looks ridiculous. And that's, that's it. That's all I got to say. Is anyone surprised that Don Mattingly was the leader of the Marlins when this happened? I mean, could you, could you have guessed that? Because I could have. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not his fault per se, but like he would be at the helm of that team when this <laughs> happened. Like, obviously, it's on the players first, um, but you know, the managers responsible for the players, especially in this season. Good job, Donnie baseball. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Perfect time to do our closing thoughts. So whoever here has something to say, I don't at the moment. Why don't you kick it off? My closing thoughts are uh, a little self-serving, um, but um, if you guys are interested, I wrote a piece uh, in Dodgers lowdown with Sean green who was my favorite player of all time, um, about his home run, his batting glove home run tradition where he would throw his batting gloves into the stands after a home run. It started at Dodger Stadium. It started as a member of the Dodgers. He didn't do it in the eight previous years that he was with the Toronto Blue Jays or seven, eight years that he was with the Blue Jays. So if you want to go check it out, it's on Dodgers Lowdown. It's on my Twitter, uh, at Reiner underscore Jake, or on the Dodgers Lowdown uh, Twitter page or on Facebook. Um, it's really cool. I also have a personal story as it pertains to Sean Green uh, when I was in the third grade, which is uh, one of my favorite baseball stories ever. So I'm really happy that Sean was able to uh, participate. I interviewed him for this piece. He was really gracious. And it's one of the traditions that he said he's most proud of. So um, if you want, go check it out. Yeah, I'd recommend checking that out. It was a very well done piece. I love Sean Green growing up too. Uh, so it was a really cool story. So if you like Sean Green at all or Dodger fan, definitely check that out. I'm going to attach it to the episode as well. So you'll find it in the link or you'll find it in the episode description for your convenience. Sweet. Uh, my closing thoughts are, I mean, you can probably guess what they are at this point if you've listened to the episode. Stop playing Austin Barnes every other day. Uh, we don't know these pitching stats. We don't know how accurate they are or a good indication of how good he really is at pitch framing. Obviously, he's above average. There's no debating that. But we don't know if he's elite, elite. These, these stats don't hold much water to me. Uh, let Will Smith have a chance. Give him the reins. Austin Barnes can be Kershaw's personal catcher. If, if 
Kershaw explicitly says he wants that. I want it in writing. I want it posted on the wall. I want it proven that that's what he wants. Um, but, yes, this is going to be a big series for the Padres and, and the following one for the Rockies. So this should be interesting. Yeah, the Rockies off to a very surprising start. A lot of people counting them out early, but they're actually ranked third in baseball in Team ERA. What a total opposite. Who was it who, was it who said the Rockies were, were going to be good this year? Was, was that me? By your uh, inflection, I'm assuming oh, it's you. Okay, that's right, yeah. Wasn't just you, for what it's worth. I was pretty high on them too. <laughs> you were. You were. I took a beating on Twitter for whatever reason. You Apparently, take a lot of you take a lot of unnecessary beatings on Twitter, my man. I, they, yeah, they might be the Dodgers' biggest competition moving forward. We'll see how that plays out. But my closing thoughts: This is more like a call your shot. He's been pretty quiet so far this season, but Jock Peterson is going to hit not one but two home runs against the San Diego Padres. I like it. Yes. And he's going to be the he's going to be the series player. So thank you all for listening to today's episode of The Incline. Hope you had a good time with us. Make sure to subscribe, follow all our pages which will be listed below in the episode description. Support Dodgers Lowdown in every way you can. And I hope you guys have a great week cuz we got some fun baseball coming up. We're out. those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.